You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. What's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! All right, folks. How is it going? Hope it's good in your neck of the woods and all that jazz. Before we get started in this kind of weird episode that we have going on, I guess it's not weird. It's a little different. I'll explain. Before I get to that, I want to tell you about Creation Music Company. Creation Music Company has uh, recently been sponsoring the program you're listening to right now, and they make all kinds of stuff, but they're best known for their pedal boards. They've got a variety of different pedal boards in all shapes and sizes for just about anybody for anything you could ever imagine. Well, maybe not anything. Some of you guys are pretty crazy. But they have extremely light flat boards. They've got their Aero series, which is a twist on the traditional flatboard, so you can kind of sneak some stuff under there, get yourself some additional room on a flat style board. And then they have their elevation series, which is their angled style boards that are, you know, traditional slant, so you can slide your power supplies and just have a little bit easier access to all of your effects. And they're lightweight aluminum construction, they're made here in the States. Really, really great stuff. I've seen them in person. A lot of my builder friends have used them. Lots of people have used them and been really happy with their pedal boards. I think they're fantastic. And if you want to know more about them, John's been on the show twice, so you can slide back to some older episodes and check out the story of his company and what, they, what they've had to deal with over the years. It's pretty interesting stuff. So if you go back to that, I think you'll, you'll get some entertainment out of it. But yeah, go check out creationmusiccompany.com for all the details. This episode is also brought to you by the wonderful people over at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop for all of your guitar wiring needs. Doesn't matter what you're shooting for. Sean and company can hook it up because that's what they do, man. They're all about the people. They're all about supporting the community and getting you exactly what you need. So don't let that old SG knock around in the closet anymore just because it has one broken pot or something. Call up Gun Street Wiring Shop. Let them fix you up. And if you don't see exactly what you need... Definitely email them, because I've seen them do some crazy, crazy projects. 
So don't think anything's too weird or too out there for the folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop to handle. Go to GunStreetWiringShop.com, check them out today, tell them I sent you, you know what to do. We are also brought to you by the Fuzz Fiends over at the Fear the Riff Expo. Fear the Riff is in its third year now. It's promising to be bigger and better than ever. Still taking place there in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, in New York City. Yes, the Big Apple. I'll be headed there this year again. I've been there every year since its first uh, opening. I don't know. Since its first year. I've been there, and it's a really fun show. It's a great, great venue right by a really epic pizza shop called Polly G's. There's fuzz pedals. There's guitars. There's amps. There's everything you could ever want. You might even see a, a gear like guitar celebrity walking around. We had Petrucci there last year. Who knows who's going to be there? It's going to be a great event. August 10th, come on out. Let's say hi. Let's uh, let's hang out. Let's do the thing at the Fear the Riff Expo in Brooklyn. Let's do it. And last but certainly not least, I would like to talk about a way that you can support the show without going out of your way too far. All you have to do is use ToneMob.com Reverb. Go to that link in your browser, and use that for all of your Reverb.com shopping, and a little percentage of that will come back and help support the show. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and you don't have to do anything weird like put in codes or anything. You just go through ToneMob.com Reverb to check out, and you can support the show that way through things that you're probably already doing anyway, which is buying and selling gear. So it doesn't matter if you're buying, selling, or if you've never heard of Reverb before, and this is the first the first time you've experienced Reverb.com as an entity, or you've never been exposed to them before, which is kind of crazy, just signing up for a new account helps. So go to ToneMob.com Reverb for all of your reverbing needs, and it really, really helps us out. So thank you very much for all of you that have done that and continue to do that, and will do that. Okay, I think that's all the house cleaning for today. Let me get into what this show's about. So over the years, this episode with Robert Keeley has always been referenced by many listeners who have been around for a while as their favorite Tone Mob episode. So I went back and listened to it again here recently, just because yeah, I, I tend not to listen to these. and A lot of you may not realize this, but once I'm done editing them, I shoot them out there, and I don't, I don't want to hear my own voice anymore. So I, I try to avoid listening to them as much as possible outside of you know trying to make sure it sounds great for everybody. So I haven't listened to this in a really long time until just recently, and I went back and I went, wow, I'm, I'm, I understand why people like this because Robert was very candid about some things that I was not expecting. He was, a, he was somebody I got on the show early on that made me feel like, wow, I'm really doing a thing. This is a, a legit endeavor that I'm undertaking here. And he, he, you know, he talked about some personal things that I don't think anybody saw coming that are a little more public knowledge now. I won't spoil that for, for those who have not heard that before. But I wanted to put this back out there because we have a ton of new listeners, and I super don't expect anyone to dig through the whole back catalog to find this nugget. So... I'm going to re-air it, and I got to say, Rob's great, but man, I am like, I'm like so wooden. This is a, this is, I'm still pretty new to interviewing at this point. I mean, I'm still new compared to a lot of real professionals, but this is like, I'm just like, wow, I'm stiff on this one. So it'll be interesting for those to, for you guys who are more recent listeners to hear kind of what, what people used to have to deal with. 
Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit bittersweet to put this out because it's like, oh man, this is, this is like tone mob history here, but there's so many new people that I know have not got a, a chance to check this out. I wanted to bring it, bring it up for the new people. And yeah, this is kind of like a, uh, a reissue. I kind of figured it was like a reissue of the podcast. And I know this monologue is turning really, really long, but I, I just want to give all the details for everybody who may not know how this podcast started and and what was going on here. So I recorded this episode on the job at my old job in uh, some downtime when there's just nothing going on. And I recorded it in a laboratory where we tested different components of fuel products for certain properties. So you can you can kind of hear like some weirdness going on with my track, especially because I'm recording in a like super weird, like concrete lab. And that's how where I recorded the majority of my earlier episodes before I was able to actually do them in the studio. In fact, I don't even know if the studio was the shred shed rather was completed by that point. I think it was still still under construction. So all these new episodes I record out here and I try to make them sound as good as I can. I've always tried to make them sound as good as I could. And fortunately, I have this wonderful app called Ringer that has been around for several years that that let me record. I still record with it, but I it let me record all of those early episodes using my phone. Otherwise, it never never would have got off the ground. So, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the situation. I'm recording in a lab. I think Rob is in his office at home and and we're just, you know, this is the first time I've had any lengthy conversations with them, which is obviously we've had lots of conversations over the years. Now, this this is a very very early look into things. So, I guess I'll shut up. I think you know all of the details at least well enough to uh, to understand what's going on here. And I will just get right into it. And I've I've just left the entire episode just as it was, except for I'm going to make a new outro. So we got a new intro, new outro. But the what you're going to hear now is exactly as it was put out in. Uh, let's see, it was dropped on twelve twenty seven of two thousand and fifteen. So this is an old one. This is a very old one. Let me know what you guys think. I hope you enjoy it. And I have another episode that is going to drop directly after this that is uh, also a little bit different. So I think you guys are going to enjoy that. That's with a rock and roll legend. But without further ado, here is the first Robert Keeley appearance on Tone Mob. Here you go. So I says, I said to him, I said, I said <laughs> <laughs> no way. You exactly. you did not say that. No, you did yeah, not say yeah. that. No. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Right, right to her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah right to her face. Uh huh. Right to her face. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and people behind it. As you know, I'm Blake Wyland, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with one Mr. Robert Keeley. How are you doing today, sir? Man, been a great day. I lost my headphones, but uh, you know there was a Target available, so I bought some new headphones. Ah, so the trials and tribulations of recording demos when you lose your headphones. Ah, yes. Otherwise, the day was picture perfect. Nice. Yeah. 
recording demos. Are these uh, uh, new pedals or are these pedals that we have seen? Well, of course, every week you have a new pedal. So Every week we have a new pedal is, is the mantra. But today was uh, special because we had the Gold Star Reverb that's, that's going to be released uh, tomorrow. And uh, Lance Seymour of uh, Gear Talk um, mm-hmm. did a demo. And I was going to do a technical demo on the distorted reverb. Um, kind of a unwieldy beast to uh, play. And uh, the pedal offers a lot of different sounds and stuff like that. So I was going to try to record one. Everything uh, was okay until I couldn't you know, listen to the, re- the tracks back to under- mm. you know, understand what, what I was doing. So at any rate, got some new yeah. headphones. And maybe, maybe later on tonight I'll record some more. Right on, right on. Do you, yeah. do, do you have a little like home studio that you do those in, or do you do them at the shop? I have the the infancy, the genesis of a home home recording studio, um, and so upstairs in my office, uh, I set up something, and I'm still I'm still playing with it. I I don't really sit on camera too too often, so that's going to be my future role, and uh, so I'm looking forward to it, and and I'm trying to have fun doing it. So I got to get all the pieces in place. For the recording gear, monitoring, playback, you know, understanding what I'm doing. Right, camera, right. Ca- camera angles, lighting, all that stuff. So I really want to move into that, though. It's, it's kind of fun to, to see the guy that at least directs, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, directs what pedals are being produced and what sounds are being produced um, to demonstrate them for people to show, you know, what I like about the sounds and what I think is inspiring. That's very cool. I think people yeah. will really enjoy that. I mean, there's lots of demo guys that do great work, and that's why they do it. But I think it'll be an interesting angle for you to to approach it for, from that. I mean, sure. you know, on a on a regular basis, there's there are companies yeah. that do that. But if you're going to do it consistently, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, um, you know what's I'd have to use the word even jealous. The the, the folks at Catlin Bread, I think the guy's name is Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays some incredible demos and, uh, every time I watch it, I go away bruised and beaten because I'm like, <laughs> that's exactly how I would do it. And now I can't do it because they've done it so perfectly. I have to walk away from it and go, okay, find your own place. Um, yeah, but when, pe- when, exactly, man, when, when people are involved in the production of the, the gear and and show you how uh, wonderfully it works. It, it's magic, and I think that's what they've done. I, I want to do that for my pedals, so I just got to get set up for it. So nice, nice. So we oh, can yeah. be looking forward to that uh, very soon. Then I take it. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put out a couple of them. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a learning process and uh, stuff like that. But it it is fun to show off the different sounds and explain it from a very technical standpoint where people can understand the controls and how they interact, how they uh, make different sounds so that people can hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and, and understand exactly what they're getting and what they can do with it. Right, right. That's cool. I'll look forward to that for sure. So that's that's awesome. I lo- oh, love yeah. hearing that. So I better like stop myself right now before I do what I what I sometimes do and did on the last episode I recorded. Um, before I get away from my questions, um, because I really want, I think a lot of people would be really interested to hear, and I know I am, about uh, my big standard question, which is, 
what is Rob Keeley's musical backstory and how did it lead you to doing what you're doing today? Man, I, I like my, my backstory. I like my history because my history started with um, uh, music. It started with uh, my grandma buying me a guitar from uh, a place in uh, called the Music Gallery, which is still in business right outside of Chicago, Highland Park, uh, Illinois. Uh, bought me a, you know, probably at the time it was probably 35 to 70 bucks for a Yamaha student guitar, an FG, whatever, fill in the blank, 35, 36. Right. And, and I would go to, uh, my dad's practice. My dad would practice with a lady and they would play songs, everything from, Heck, Stairway to Heaven to, uh, oh my gosh, um, other 70s hits. I'll think of them in just a second. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they would do anything from Heart to Led Zeppelin to Carly Simon to, you know, uh, Pete Seeger, you know, to anybody right. popular. And, and um, the, the, the running joke at the time was that my dad was going to the library. Well, the library was a bar in Upper Michigan, right outside uh, Michigan Tech University. So my dad was going to the library, a.k.a. he was going to jam and make some music, and that's how he paid for his college and, you know, kept us nice. in, in food and diapers. So um, that's kind of how it started. Um, when we moved from the United States to Germany, my dad got stationed in Germany. I went through high school in Germany. Um, they listen to me play you really got me now on a dan electro incessantly in the uh, chevy uh station wagon until they said when they got to new york they were like let's box this thing up and ship it because we don't want to listen to you. you really got me now <laughs> for, the, for the you know ten thousandth time so off the guitar went i got to germany and uh it was about uh, i don't know late late fall they um, they got me a for Christmas. They got me a Squire Stratocaster. Those are the good ones, the Japanese ones mm -hmm. from from the eighties, the eighty four, eighty five, and um, eighty four. And um, so there I was, blessed with my dad's uh, PV Deuce amplifier, this six L six monster that was like a Fender twin type of thing. Nice. And I know it was it was mm -hmm. so awesome. And so loud, and uh, and uh, Squire Stratocaster, which you know, in retrospect, is a is a great guitar. So I had this incredible guitar, um, and incredible amplifier, and uh, I lived out in a village far away from the rest of uh, German civilization. So I got to play for eight hours a day. My whole world became music. So that's kind of like. The earliest, earliest background. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I, 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 you know, saved up for a Fostex four track, recorded, you know, Beethoven stuff with heavy distortion, Ibanez, you know, metal mm -hmm. charger pedals, mm -hmm. and did symphonies on there. I, you know, played in bands, learned Ingve songs, you know, note for note. But that's that's the earliest beginnings of it. Uh, trying to understand, you know, what my dad was doing with, uh, you know folk and classic rock, probably classic rock. And then 
when I moved to Germany, everything was heavy metal. So it was a blend of those two things. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, great gear for the time. Right. And uh, so that's kind of the earliest part. You know, there's, there's a middle section which transforms to more of a high fidelity, more of a, a higher understanding of sound. But that's the early part. Okay. Well, I mean, continue on. I, you got to okay. so, go, so go through the whole, the whole time, man. Yeah. So, so throughout Germany, playing in bands was, was, was great and informative. Uh, lots of learning of different styles. Like I, I'd get this magazine called Guitar for the Practicing Musician, and it would have everything from, you know, Kiss and Crocus to uh, Al Dimiola and Ingve Malmsteen. And wow. so, so, you know, there was no internet. There was no nothing like that. So I'd get the magazine. I'd be waiting anxiously. Everything is behind in Germany at the time. So I'd be waiting for the issue to come out, finally get the issue, and pour over it for, you know, an entire month, learning the material. Then when I moved uh, from Germany to the United States, I worked in uh, stereo stores. The stereo stores gave me this kind of... Uh, halfway snobbish thing because there was some tube audio there there was uh, a lot of uh, new cd players and dvds and stuff like that and I, I started working on the gear i had great guys that helped me understand how to troubleshoot the gear and what made you know uh, audio gear great and what made it mediocre and um but then for the next i think 15 years i worked in different stereo stores uh repairing audio gear and uh, understanding, you know, what makes things tick, what makes things sound good, what works, what doesn't work. And uh, often I, I, I go ahead and say that that stuff um, was really informative and formative in, in my development of uh, the early mods, the early key electronics gear, like the compressor and stuff like that, because... The parts I chose were the same parts I saw in the high-end gear. So, you know, the first 15 or so years I lived here in Oklahoma, it was a, um, that became the basis for um, what became uh, amplifiers that I made in the 90s to effects pedals in the 2000s. So that's kind of how it it started, you know? That's a, that that, uh, timeline makes like a hundred percent sense for how you uh, got to where you are today. Like that all those pieces fit together and it's like, Oh, okay. Clearly what else would he be doing right now? Sure. I mean, I mean, when I first got here to Oklahoma, it was a, it was a dramatic change. You have to imagine living in Germany and everything's green. Everything's kind of cool and not, not hippie, not hipster, but something was, was very, very cool about it. I come to this, forsaken place called Oklahoma <laughs> and it, it's desolate. I mean, it was like December when I got here. So everything's brown and, and destroyed and, um, forlorn. And, uh, it, it just took off on this journey where I was like, wow, I need to make money. I need to do electronics because my, you know, the only thing I understand that makes money is what my dad did. My dad right. was an electric, my, my dad was an electrical engineer. Uh, he made good money. You know, so let me go ahead and start school. Let me go ahead and start electronics. Let me figure this out. And, uh, you know, I tried different, like, coffee shop bands and country bands and whatever became of it. And uh, eventually I found my way to um, 
an engineer that was making his own circuit boards and doing crazy stuff for glamour shots. Remember, there was a place that did, did uh, photography in malls. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah, and so, so I worked for the engineer that developed that stuff is JT Hensley. And he um, designed that gear. We modified these Panasonic thermal printers and Sony thermal printers. So the, the concept of modding actually became came to me in the mid-90s from this guy that, that uh, owned a company called Industrial Video. He modified thermal printers things that printed out pictures of, you know, ladies, lab rats, because we did stuff for both medical facilities and glamour shots. Right. So those, those things kind of took place there. I saw circuit boards being making, made, and I saw um, uh, circuits being modified. And so it became kind of second nature, or became something that was, you know, I didn't give a second thought to when it came to understanding how, amplifiers were modified in in the later 90s mid 90s where i saw like gerald weber of kendrick amplifiers making modifications to basement amplifiers those basement amplifiers he you know built a company on and that's exactly how i got started in modifying gear so the amplifiers came first modifying gear uh was already natural to me and uh so then Fast forward to 2001, when I decided to make uh, a Ross compressor, um, it was very easy to, to use the stuff that I had learned in the hi-fi gear, modifying equipment, making my own circuit board, and uh, producing a product, because that's what I had done with the Glamour Shot stuff and the stuff for the uh, Health Science Center and the medical facility stuff, so making my own product seemed very natural. At the time, it was, kind of, it was kind of new. I mean, there was, you know, Mike Fuller, Analog Man, uh, you know, a couple other folks. Right. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun making that gear at the time. It, it, it seemed like kind of like the Wild West, you know. So that's kind of how it started. Those are all the pieces that fit together. Right. So the, did you, you started off making the compressor or did you start off with the like TS nine and mods and things that you are also known for at the time? That's a great question. So in, in the mid nineties, I started with amplifiers. I wanted to build like deluxes and basements. And my boss at the time at a stereo store called uh, audio Midwest, he didn't quite get it. I, I, I gave him a business proposal. I said, Hey, we can make, uh, you know, these vintage amplifiers, recreations. They're doing popular vintage guitar magazine has them in there. You know, there's all these folks. We can do it. And uh, he didn't buy it. So a couple <laughs> years. Yeah, exactly. A couple years passed by. And uh, then only because I wanted to find um, that sound that uh, uh, Trey Anastasio of Fish had, um, did, did I start to make uh, compressors and... Um, and and so I built my first compressor based off some notes off the internet, and um, it just happened like that. The, the first compressor took a couple months to build, build parts, troubleshoot it, and uh, when I heard it for the first time, it was uh, completely amazing, and it was it was not life changing, but it was so. Uh, so different than how I had heard any other compressor 
that I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'll put this up on eBay. I know people will like this because it sounds good to my ears. And uh, that's how it started. So, you know, I sold the first compressor in September 2001. And uh, it, it really just honestly took off from there. So when did you start offering, oh boy, here's my buddy, the train guy. We'll just yeah. pretend he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> he came by last time too. He's been, uh, he's been annoying me lately. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so did you start, when did like, you started on eBay. Is yeah. that, when did Keeley Electronics kind of get, like you realize that is what you're going to do full time? Well, um. So, uh, it actually happened that uh, September 11th, 2001, I delivered the first compressor. Um, I went off to school. Um, next thing I know, the, um, the, I guess, I don't know, the, uh, the principal of the school came to me and put a TV in my room, showed me what was happening with the world. We kind of... Uh, Ran off and hid for a while on September 11th, but I had shipped off the first compressor, and uh, they they sold. And next thing I know, I uh, you know built another one. It sold, and as fast as I could build them, they would sell on on eBay. Um, that was 2001. By 2002, May of 2002, I uh, put in my uh, notice that I was leaving, and uh, started. Keely Electronics uh, full-time. So uh, it really kind of started full-time in 2002, the origins of it, and, uh, you know, that stuff became, you know, was 2001. So um, it was, it, it's just been a, it's just been a, you know, magic ride since then. <laughs> it really has. So how long before you had realized you needed to start bringing people in to help you out? Because how long, how long cool. were you by really yourself? Cool. No, I was never, never uh, by myself except for the first unit. So what happened is um, I was already teaching at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was this guy, uh, Jacob Adams. Jacob Adams was my first employee. And he was a student of mine at uh, Vatterock College. And uh, one day, all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. I go to the door. I'm like, who the hell is here at the first crack of dawn? Mm -hmm. and, and here's Jacob Adams. And he, I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, what you doing here? Mm -hmm. He's like, you told me to come here and start building pedals or something. And uh, I was like, oh, that's right. Yesterday, I told you to come to my house, and we were going to start building pedals. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm standing there in my underwear. Uh, Jacob will tell you the same truth, you know. Jacob runs a company called uh, Mammoth Electronics. Oh yeah, and uh, so um, Jacob was my first employee. I don't remember what day he started, but um, Jacob has been in it since uh, day one with me. So um, if you think any of these stories are fabrications, Jacob can verify <laughs> any of them. <laughs> but no, it was it was just like that. I mean. We started uh, modifying TS9s and BD2s shortly after that, and then DS1s when Dave Wiener from Steve Vai's camp sent some DS1s in to mod. That was really inspiring, and we came up with the DS. I came up with the DS Ultra mod at that time, 
So it 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 just really blossomed in those first couple of years. Um, Jake Panera was there, a couple other guys, and, and uh, took off from there. Very cool. Oh that's, yeah, that's very cool. And you've pretty much kept going ever since then. Like, there's not really been much of a break for you, has there? No, or am I mistaken I mean, on that? No, I mean, you know, the the break that exists is where, you know, um, I I don't know how to put it delicately, but the break became when I got hooked on um, prescription pills, and so I kind of went into this hibernation and this kind of um, greedy type, you know, uh, thing that happens with uh, pain pills. Pain pills, um, for for any listener or anybody who's familiar with it, kind of make you, uh, re- you know, go into your own world. You think everything's fine, and everything is not fine. And so I would have to say for, for, for many years, we lived off the, the incredible success of those those first years. So, you know, until... Until uh, I quit pills in 2012, I, the company was kind of running on autopilot. I had a couple people that, um, like Jacob, that uh, did some absolutely fantastic work with me. I had a couple engineers, uh, Sylvester and um, another guy that helped me with the phaser and the Luna. Mm-hmm. But um, but the company kind of stagnated while every other company. Uh, you know, JHS, Earthquaker, Wampler, Catlin Bread kind of grew up around me. So when I finally uh, opened my eyes in February of 2012, I had a lot of uh, very serious competition. So, um, you know, we enjoyed some great success in the mid-2000s, and uh, it slowly petered out until I uh, woke up, and then I formed a new team of folks that um, have have brought about all this incredible change that's that's uh, you know I think groundbreaking for the effects world. You know, I think we've had our best year ever, and um, that's what's happening now. So that's uh, that's interesting. I I don't know if very many people know about that uh, that part of your life. Um, what what did it? It was there like a. Did did the people you were working with know that you were having trouble, or was it kind of a you had you kept it to yourself type of thing because you, you didn't think no, it was a problem? You know that's that's really interesting. I I think um, some people some people knew some people understood, um, uh, but it's kind of like I was the boss, so they didn't want to say anything. Right. So it kind of it kind of I got to you know. I you know I bought endless guitars. I bought fancy Porsches. I mean, it was you know crazy type. Uh, you know, I don't know. Ill-gotten gains is what I call it. Ill-gotten gains. Okay. And so I I, I had uh, a tremendous amount of uh, you know success, and the people around me um, noticed it. Were very concerned, but. Um, you know, chose chose to move on, or which I don't blame them one bit. Um, chose to move on, and uh, it kind of uh, allowed me to find a place where uh, I needed to make a definitive change and, and move on. And that's what happened in 2012. I said, you know, um, 
this is not working <laughs> at <laughs> right. all. This is not working at all. Uh, you know, I, I had a, you know, what's now an ex-wife that, you know, was instrumental in, in the destruction of the company. I had uh, myself <laughs> instrumental in the destruction of the company. And uh, I said, okay, enough with all that. And I moved on. I said, that's it. Time to quit and time to move on. Uh, quit the pills. Um, found people that were very supportive of me. So like Lisa Hale and who I hope we talk a whole bunch about, Creighton Hale, um, came in and were instrumental in helping me get through not only the year and a half divorce, but then transforming the company with um, new designs and new product and increasing our skill level. You know, I don't know how many fold, tenfold would be probably uh, shy of what we've done. So, right. It's that kind of, you know, transformation where I said, you know, enough of this. I, I want something better. I'm so tired of being, you know, in the gutter. Um, even though the money was coming in. I mean, heck, even at the, at the worst point during that stuff, I, I think we were making something, you know, obscene like two million a year, but it quickly, uh, fell away. It quickly vanished because I had so much good competition and, um, you know, no support structure after years of just living off the compressor and Katana. So, right. you know, that, that change in 2012 couldn't have come, you know, any sooner. It was a uh, perfect timing. It really was. And, and that's, uh, I think it's kind of interesting if you step back and look at it from a consumer standpoint, now that you've laid that story out for us, mm -hmm. you can see the change right in that time frame. Oh yeah. It's sure. visible from a, from a product standpoint and, and uh, not that anybody knew you were having trouble, I, I'm sure from a consumer standpoint, but it's, it's obvious that there was a, a big shift at that point in the game. Sure. Sure. I mean, the first thing that came out was like a a red dirt. It was essentially our um, TS9 mm -hmm. on on a new platform, and then a whole year later, Creighton and I developed the um, Seafoam, which was incredibly difficult to do. Um, it was unique. It, it wasn't a copy of anything. Um, but that those two pedals took a full year, and then you know. 2014 unleashed and it was, um, you know, a pedal a month. And then, you know, now you've seen 2015, you know, we can, we can do anything. We can almost, almost poke fun at manufacturing a new sound. We can do one, you know, every couple of weeks, we can do one in front of the camera. So, um, it, it took a lot of background work to, to build up the, the platform, the skills, um, Aaron, Tackett uh, doing CNC stuff and then eventually in 2015 doing DSP stuff. All, all these partners, if you will, um, you know, came, came into play. So it's, um, that, that's what happened in the, in the past two years. So you, you have all these, these people that have, have come into the fold, so to speak. Where do you track down that level of talent and then have as many of them as you have. I mean, that's just like people who um, kill for that. Yeah. So what happens is, um, they kind of, they kind of fall in your lap or they kind of exist. But then once you realize it, um, you have to foster that talent. You have to 
not only push them to uh, do their job and to learn new things, but then um, you have to let them grow on their own. So that's been the, the, I mean, that is the complete key to success. Once you have uh, the talent there, you have to um, force them to learn new things. Then once you pick out the players that are capable of creating on their own, you have to stand back because then they're as excited as you were a decade ago and they're creating new things. They're creating um, right along with you. So uh, all I do is, you know, kind of call out the project outline, um, the, you know, the vision for the thing, and um, they're there to uh, create and, and amaze you. And that's, that's what the past, you know, that's what 2014, 2015 have been, just harnessing the talents of people that uh, now have skills, have the tools, like a CNC, a, a, a printer that, that prints on the cases, um, the CAD programs that Kate, Creighton works with, um, those things, uh, you know, have helped them help me succeed. That's very, very cool. Like, oh, it is. It's, it's, it's fascinating to hear about that, that behind the scenes stuff. Um, I have so many questions and then I sure, try to go pick, ahead. trying to pick the one, like trying to pick the one to, to ask. It's like, uh, it's hard when there's so much cool stuff going on. I just have all these these questions about DSP um, because I'm I understand it on the surface of it, but like if I was to try to like put my finger into that, it would probably frighten me, and I'd end up well crouched you know, in the, a corner somewhere. <laughs> the DS, yeah, yeah, the DSP stuff is like that. It's um, it's very exciting because. You don't you, you um you can't burn yourself with a soldering iron, <laughs> and um you know when you you can't break the leg off a resistor or a capacitor, and um, you don't have to order parts. So DSP, um, digital signal processing, is using your imagination, your programming skills, um, working with the hardware and software to maximize your uh, creativity. And so if, if I were to tell Creighton, hey man, we need to come up with a tremolo circuit that randomly vibrates the pitch um, to simulate a, a tape deck, it could take us months to do something like that. Mm -hmm. But in the DSP world, you know, I tell, Creighton, I tell Aaron, um, use a you know, random number generator, have that tickle some sort of pitch shifting algorithm. And, uh, you know, in, in five minutes, it's done in, in two minutes, it's done because he already has it done, you know? Um, so the building blocks for DSP, um, are, are, are incredible tools for creating new products. Um, I've been working with DSP since the, um, I don't know, 1999, 1998. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, based on programming and uh, getting a computer to, um, you know, process audio signals. So it's um, incredibly fun, incredibly rewarding, and you can do magic with it. That's, that's the fun thing with it. It doesn't take uh, 
you know, hardware components to make something happen, you can make it happen and you can dream bigger than you can in the analog world. So, uh, DSP has been very rewarding for, for our company, even in the, the very early stages. Is there, um, and you know, this is my very rudimentary look at it from a, a player's perspective. Um, and I'm sure you have a much more insight into it than I do. But when I look at the digital pedals and, mm-hmm. uh, and things, I, I'm like, okay, verbs, you know, de- reverbs, delays, uh, that kind of thing. Of course, they're, they're, they're just knocking it out of the park with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I haven't yet experienced myself a drive or a fuzz or uh, any kind of dirt pedal, really, that was digital that really knocked my socks off. Like, and I don't sure. know if that's, if that's me being kind of, um, kind of a snob or if that's me, uh, or if that's a real, like a legitimate complaint, is that, no. what's, what do you think about that? No, it's, it's a legitimate uh, complaint. Um, uh, I think the only person that I've heard do it really, really convincing, uh, Lee, myself is, um, Dr. Mark Gallo. He has an amp, uh, product called, uh, Amplifier. Um, it uses two Shark processors. Um, these heavy duty DSP processors, the same stuff that's used in the Strymon stuff. It uses mm-hmm. two of them to finally get gain, distortion, heavy distortion, heavy, heavy gain, uh, correct. It takes a lot of processing power to get those nuances correct and um not many people do it i think that uh kemper uh profiling amplifier mm-hmm. right uses uses a pair of those and so it takes an extraordinary amount of processing power speed memory and uh uh technique in in in, in crafting code um to understand uh how to make something that sounds good for guitar players so, um, for example, we have a distorted reverb in our, as one mode of our Gold Star reverb that, that'll be released tomorrow. And, you know, I, I think Aaron and I have done a good job talking about it and crafting something that sounds good with a very simple um, spin FE1 processor. Um, I think we've done a good job with it. It's, it just puts distortion on the trails of the reverb. So it's oh, not, cri- it's not critical for say your core sound. Um, but for, for an effect, I think it's, it's a blast. It, it offers something new. I don't, I don't know of any other pedal that does it. So you're right. Um, when I got my first, uh, digital distortion pedal, a Digitech pedal that had 20 presets, uh, no matter what parameter you want to change, no matter how many things you can store and save, <laughs> it never sounded as good as some sort of boss dirt box. You know? I, no, so no, that was, that was the eighties. So no, I hear you. It, it takes a lot of effort and, um, a lot of processing, um, capabilities to get a uh, distortion to sound right. Right. I mean, with the Kemper stuff, it makes sense to me, uh, mm-hmm. uh, why they would do that. But as far as, um, a pedal goes just if you were just to have like a digital distortion with a bunch of different modes, it almost doesn't seem 
worth the effort, as difficult as it sounds like it is. I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of no, kind of speaking I, out loud. No, I think you're exactly correct. I wouldn't um, choose digital profiling, uh, DSP, uh, signal processing for distortion is my first choice. Way too expensive. It would take, you know, I don't know, $20 in parts to get it even remotely correct, maybe $30 in parts to get it remotely correct, when we know that a, a RAT or a DS1 or a TS9 can cost, you know, fractions of a quarter to get right. So <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, th there's, there's, there's no point. But when you start making multi-effects units and, um, you know, dreaming of bigger things, then... Right. Then it becomes pretty cool because like my friend, uh, Dr. Mark Gallo said, um, he can simulate voltages on the tubes that, that, that don't exist in the real world. Something that would melt the plates of a 6L6, even an American one. Uh, he can simulate things that just simply couldn't exist, but that sound delicious, sound fantastic. Uh, outside the, the realm of reality. So at some point in time, it does make sense. There is the processing speed, the power to do things with distortion that, do, that don't exist currently. And I think we're kind of, you know, on that, on that edge, on that boundary. Now that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. that's, something I could, that's something I could get involved in. Oh, yeah. Very oh, cool. Yeah. I'm wondering what that even sounds like. Is that that old thing? Where, like, I just heard this. I heard this tall tale the other day. I don't know if this is even true, but I heard it. Mm -hmm. um, where, like, I believe it was Prince set yeah. a, set a guitar amp on fire and and recorded it as it was burning in like a concrete room somewhere. <laughs> I wonder if you'd get some sort of weird sounds like that. If, if that's even a true story, I have no well, idea. Well, you know what's but, what's kind of fun about that? True, true or not. Um, you know, the, the essence of the story is that something happened at that fleeting moment um, where, where, you, where you can't replicate it. And that's kind of what it, I think um, Amplifier does and what D DSP is going to be capable of doing, not only for me or, or for a host of other um, people, but, but maybe even more so for the, for the DIY crowd. I, I oh, think right. there's, there's uh, SpinCAD which is something that allows people to create on the uh, spin slash FV1 format. So you can start to create some of these uh, reverbs and delays with darn near no technical ability or understanding of what's going on. You literally, you know, connect dots, the color inside the lines, and you can start to create these effects pedals. It, it doesn't allow you to control over new nuance and it doesn't allow you to, you know, it doesn't give you a license to use your own brain for what sounds good. It just says you can make a reverb, you can make it a chorus, you can make <laughs> right, it a right. But um, um, I think, uh, to your point, you know, what, what happened in the room when the amplifier was on fire and getting ready to, you know, be destroyed, what, what, what kind of great sounds came of it? Um, well, now you can you can create those sounds um, digitally. So I'm not saying it's the answer for everything. It's it's really not. I mean, uh, the the same folks that that create those things get turned on by a fuzz pedal that 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 we do. So um, right. two, two transistor germanium thing. They're like, dang, 
man, Arcade, that thing sounded killer, man. What did you do? I'm like, I did nothing new that hasn't been done in 30 years. <laughs> it's just that your, your fancy, you know, Nassau computer still can't, you know, capture those things quite exactly. So it's kind of funny, huh? It It is. It is kind of a comical thing to think about, but it's like, man, I just love, I love that, that, that sound, you know, like there's always that sound that you're searching for as a, as a gearhead. And sometimes those simple circuits, it's just like, mm, oh yeah, really, really what is needed. You know, it's a, it's kind of a, kind of a funny thing. Like we get sometimes overwhelmed with, uh, you know, giant pedal boards and all kinds of different everything going on. But, uh, sometimes there's something to be said, like, I'll just take everything apart, Les Paul Jr. into maybe a, a fuzz face or something similar, and just go in a one-channel amp, and it's like, ah, man, that feels yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> it really does. It really does. So so that, that might be a good way to slide into uh, one of my usual questions, which would be, if I don't know how much playing out you get to do these days, or if you're too busy cranking out all these pedals, but if you do do playing on a regular basis, what's your current rig kind of look like? Shoot, you caught me, man. You caught me um, fair and square. Uh, I haven't played out in forever. I mean, I've been so wrapped up in uh, business and things like that that I, I have not had a regular gig in many years since I was in college. So um, I've had a couple invites here recently that are more than attractive. Um, but, uh, I want to get back to that. Trust me. I'm trying to actually change my role at Keely Electronics so that I can do more recording and playing out. But right now I don't play out. What, what pedals I enjoy are, are, are you know, our 30 milliseconds, our Oxblood, our, um, 1962. Uh, a couple other pedals that um, are the best stuff we've ever created. So when when I play, it's it's more rewarding than ever to to play my own gear, you know. So I can definitely point at what I enjoy playing now and what other players, you know, are enjoying now. I know that the sounds that I'm getting when I uh, am learning this recording process are, are better than than I've ever heard uh, fr- from my company in a long time. So. I, I don't have a gig right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not too surprising. Uh, with the volume you guys are putting out, it's, I couldn't imagine you having a whole lot of time for much else. Uh, no, but but I I do know, I do understand the magic of playing live and getting the stuff to work live so that you can be inspired and and play music. When when you can be inspired and and the sounds come out naturally and uh, you can just kind of let go. Uh, that's where the magic happens. That's where I want people to be, where the sound is, is um, you know, very rewarding, and very uh, effortless to get a good sound. So that's that's always been you know my goal. Right, right. Oh, I know something I wanted to ask good. you about. So this was a this has been a little while ago. Um, probably, probably two or three months. Mm-hmm. You you did a post on on Instagram of various sections of your personal pedal collection. Oh yeah. Um I've never seen anything like that in my life. Like that <laughs> was that was like like every music store in my area is in your closet. 
<laughs> it was yeah. I, in your estimation. I know this is going to be this is not even really a fair question to ask. How many pedals do you think you own roughly? Mm, I don't know. Not including your own, you know, what your company has in yeah. stock, whatever. Just your That's personal good, collection. Those pictures didn't even show the whole thing. I couldn't get the whole collection in there. <laughs> I mean, it was frustrating because you know some of the vintage uh, wah stuff and you know some of the funky stuff. It was in the background. You couldn't couldn't capture it. I, right. I don't know, man. There's probably. I can tell you, it took me, and my son, and a buddy of mine, Chris uh, Mahoney. It took us like and Aaron. I think it took us like a whole hour to using you know, postal mail tubs to move them from one room to another. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I don't know if there's. I don't even want to put a number on it. It's kind of scary to put a number on it. I know it's a fraction of what I had because, like I told you, I lost uh, most everything in, in a divorce. I mean, I had these stackable mail tubs full of vintage 808s and bosses and MXRs and, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, whatever you saw in that picture there, which is pretty cool looking, um, was just a fraction of what I've had. So, wow. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's, there's lots of pedals. Most of them are, <laughs> m- most of, most of them are gone. Most of the good ones are gone, so whatever you saw in there was just a fraction. Oh no, the good ones, the good ones have taken flight. Oh, that's that's yeah. terrible. I hate to yeah. hear that. Yeah, that's all right. But man, yeah, I I was trying to explain that to because I one of my friends the other day. He's like, oh, you know, I, some guy, you got a lot of pedals. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I got, I have, I have a good amount. You know who has a lot of pedals? Rob Keeley has a lot of pedals. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like trying yeah. to explain to him what I had witnessed. It was like mind blowing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll have to put some some more pictures up here so you can point to them. But um, now pedals are fun because they 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 are easier than an amplifier, easier than a guitar, oftentimes to get a new sound and to inspire you to create new music. So that that's what the magic is in pedals. Um, I agree. It's it's a quick way to find um, your muse, find find some way to uh, get inspired. Um, if you had to buy a guitar to get inspired or change pickup selector switch, uh, change the tone controls on your amplifier, it's a little more difficult. But if you can, um, I'm not saying it's necessarily better, but <laughs> it is it is a way to get uh, you know the creative juices flowing and to start creating. And that's, that's what, that's what it's about. So most definitely, most definitely. Oh, yeah. So let's see. Hmm. I'm looking, I'm looking through things here. I'm so professional. Oh, uh, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, do you have a particularly like a favorite circuit? Now that's hard, not really fair to mm. ask, but do you have like, you could just point to one and be like, Either one you've created or just one that you're really impressed with. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good question because some of the circuits that that I'm impressed with, you know, I don't I don't fully understand or know by heart or anything like that. For example, I, I think the um, Line Six DL4 is a you know a complex, beautiful you know circuit. It's just as awesome to me as um, the Fender. 5e3 uh deluxe circuit mm-hmm. um you know a 1959 fender deluxe 
um, is just as inspiring and magical as is that DL4 in my mind. So um, there, there are several circuits like that 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 just make a lot of magic. Uh, I I truly enjoy our new um, Oxblood in 1962. Those those things um, are are great sounding. They're they're very easy to play. They're fun to make music on. I enjoy our um, the platform that holds our uh, 30 milliseconds or our reverb. Those those circuits um, sound good and um, are are fun and inspiring. So, I mean, there's there's classic circuits. Obviously, I like the the TS9 quite a bit. I mean, who who doesn't? Fun no circuit. kidding. It's it's um very uh. Uh, malleable. You can change it. You can do a bunch of different things with it. Um, so there's there's some circuits like that. You know, a circuit I think is fun is the um, Mutron Three. The Mutron oh, Three. Oh, that thing's got, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got all kinds of stuff you can learn from it. All kinds of different circuit elements that um, that help your understanding of of how uh, sound works and how how things become dynamic. That's what I like about that circuit a lot is that there's a, a lot of filters so that the sound is, you know, made vocal or, you know, you know, forced in one way or another. And then there's things that measure your, your pick attack and your, your playing so that it influences some other part of the circuit. And that's, that's kind of what's made our DSP stuff a, a lot of fun because instead of setting up uh, big complex circuits that kind of uh weigh or measure your your playing your attack your you know what the envelope is um to control some other part of the circuit you can do that so much more easily with uh dsp so we can create you know uh, uh dynamic based modulation or dynamic based rhythms dynamic based pitch um stuff that would be very difficult in the analog world we can do more, but if you don't have an understanding of, you know, where those things um, initiated and and how they inspired musicians, um, it's kind of hard to put the pieces together. And I think that's where we're succeeding now in our circuits. Now is combining several types of uh, you know studio craft or um, effects so that uh, you can get new sounds or sounds that were only available with. Uh, you know, at a studio. So the, the circuits that inspire me are, are, are the old ones and, and the new ones, you know, but mm-hmm. the crazy stuff like the DL4 and some of the stuff we're doing and, you know, those things. So is there another company out right now um, that you would say is like doing super intriguing stuff that you are really impressed with? Hmm. You know, Man, it's 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 so hard to pick favorites because I feel like um, I've 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 got a lot of friends in the industry, but you know, um, I think uh, Jamie uh, Stillman with Earthquaker mm-hmm. um, has has inspired me in ways to uh, make sounds that are outside the norm, so that people can you know further cre- create. So. so Although I don't, um, I don't listen to his catalog of effects so much. I think I understand, you know, where his where his forte in creating sound is. So, um, 
his his kind of crazy uh, noisemaker thing is very inspiring to me. Uh, I think the the Gold Star Reverb that we'll come out with tomorrow um, kind of demonstrates how excited I am about sounds that um, that are outside the norm. Um, I, I think that um, companies like um, uh, Wampler and JHS and Catlin Bread um, all bring something to the party where they, they are definitely putting their best game forward, their best sounds forward, the, the best, you know, they can do. Um, and uh, at core basic sounds, um, you can't deny how, how good their stuff sounds. You know, I have to throw into the mix, like, um, Jack DeVille, mm -hmm. um, who has created uh, some of the more pioneering sounds with the um, FV1 that we're using right now and enjoying success with. I think he designed uh, several of the core products of uh, Catlin Bread. And, um, yes, so, that's true. So, so he's, he's very inspiring. Um, in terms of being a pioneer and a front runner in that whole thing, um, it's kind of funny once once you get a hold of this uh, DSP stuff and you start creating on your own. Um, it's still like it's still a little bit like the Wild West because if you have an imagination and you understand how things work and what musicians want, um, then you you can you can move forward. You know, so I don't know. All all those guys are all those guys are really good. You know. Um, Philippe Herndon of uh, Caroline, Felipe Herndon of uh, mm -hmm. Carolina Guitar Effects, yeah, puts together fun packages. Um, you know, there's a bunch of bunch of bunch of good stuff out there. I mean, they're all they're all great. Um, I, I think uh, 2015 for for us has been um, kind of hard to beat because oh, <laughs> we've we've um, we've put together quite a few you know very interesting packages. That 30 milliseconds and stuff like that's kind of, you know, really unique. I can't, I can't even point to another effect pedal that does what that one does. So when you kind of get lucky like that to put together a package of sounds that haven't been done before, it's, uh, that's very rewarding. How did that pedal come about? I was, that was something I Man. wanted to talk about. That thing is, that thing just, I, I gotta get my hands on one. That thing looks so cool. It is. It sounds more amazing. Uh, then you can imagine with, with with two amplifiers because you get uh, a core a chorus sound that that you've you've just never heard before except on studio recordings, and I don't know I wish Aaron was here my my DSP guy at the shop to you know help line up the truth and myth and lies but um, <laughs> I I think what happened is he he'd been working on things and had stumbled upon. Um, the concept of the Haas effect or, or the precedence effect, both those are names for this uh, delay time that's less than 30 milliseconds. You can't hear the delay, but it creates a uh, chorusing type effect. It has, you know, phasing type effects and stuff like that. The Beatles, um, Ken Townsend and John Lennon, you know, crafted this, this sound. Um, because John Lennon was too lazy to re-record the vocal and guitar <laughs> tracks. And, and that, yeah, yeah. And that brilliant guy, Ken Townsend, you know, thought, hey, you know, what if I feed the same track back in with a little bit of uh, delay time? Um, can I not create something that sounds doubling? 
And uh, sure enough, he created a sound that's now, you know, indispensable uh, studio tool. So um, when Aaron started to talk about it, I think I pretty much jumped off the floor when I was testing some other sound and went, yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what we need to do. I want an Abbey Rhodes, you know, studio pedal. I want all those sounds. I want, I want, you know, random tape modulated double tracking. I want, you know, strict, straight up double tracking. I want the same chamber reverb that uh, we put in that they that they use I want our best approximation of all those sounds in, in one pedal and then you know the graphics for the for the case became you know based on the Ampex you know tape reels and and the Grateful Dead Dick's Pick stuff um, so the whole package came together the whole uh, the, the sound was was um, kind of formulated kind of that fast. It was like, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do because no one else is doing that. Mm -hmm. And that that's a sound that we immediately love. You know, if you if you listen to Mike Herman's doing You're No Good um on, on his demo of the thirty mm -hmm. seconds, it, yes. it's it's mind bogglingly good. I think it's still one of the best demos of, of my pedals that exist. Um, because it perfectly captures what could only be done in the studio. And now there's a pedal that does it. So that's, that's kind of exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, that is a great yeah. demo. He does great work. So shoot. <laughs> I, th I think his music is like many, many opuses, many, uh, pieces of, uh, musical art. So I thoroughly enjoy working with him and, and the, um, the sounds he creates. I think they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He does awesome. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. So that's oh yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh man, there's so many questions I have, Rob. I'm not. I'm not just saying that, but we are. Um, we have done what what has what always happens is we get. I get to the hour mark, and I'm I'm not done talking yet. Well, you, you can schedule part two. I'm gonna have to because uh, this has been an excellent chat. Um, but you know. Most people, if they if they're already at work, they've they've made the commute, <laughs> and now they're yep. and now they're watching Mike Herman's demos in their cubicle. So yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It was just I love Blake, hearing all, all your stories. It's awesome, Blake. It's so it's so fun. This this business is fantastic. I hope people listen for a couple seconds more. I take this job very seriously. I know everyone else does too. I know everyone's trying to make the best product out there, but I, I somehow feel that that I am trying my best to make inspiring sounds. Not just sounds that work, not just pedals that work, but sounds that you can create new music with. And um, so I, I, I hope I'm doing that. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But um, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I think I'm best at. It's like, yes, that sounds good. That's what I would listen to. That's what I know works for people. And um, so hopefully that's what people take away from human electronics, you know. Most definitely. Well, again, you know, thanks, Rob. I, I think you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, us uh, gearheads really are uh, digging it. So Great. 
great. If it ain't Thank if you. it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep going. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'll keep that. My my team is is kicking butt right now. So wait, watch out for twenty sixteen. Love it, love it. So yeah, is there any good. anything you want to? Uh, I I forget to do this sometimes, and shame on me. But I'm getting better. Is there anything you'd like to uh, shamelessly plug for anybody who is listening? Something coming up new, where they can find your stuff. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, no, I mean, I just, uh, just, just visit the website, just check out the new stuff because we've got, um, we've got for the NAM show, we have a bunch of, uh, tone workstations, which are, you know, three and four multi effect type units that'll be at the NAM show in, in January out in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. So, so we've got, we've got that. We've got a flanger, uh, on deck. We have, uh, pedal we call, uh, Capital Reverb that's, that's on deck, um, based on the Reverb Chambers Les Paul, uh, designed for Capital Records. So, man, it's just, there's so much stuff on deck and, uh, so much stuff we're having fun with that, uh, I just hope people keep on, um, you know, finding something that, that, you know, inspires them. So, that's it. Very good. Well, I'll put the, I'll definitely put your website link in the show notes. Everybody, you can, Check out everything that uh, Rob and the team are doing through that link. Yeah, yeah perfect. So, uh, thank you very much again, Rob, uh, for taking the time. And you're very uh, welcome. I will go ahead and close out by saying, uh, for Rob Keeley, I'm Blake Wyland, and everybody, good luck and good tones. All right, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. So there you go. That's basically what the early days of the Tone Mob podcast were. And as you can hear, it's not changed drastically. Hopefully it sounds better. That's always the goal. I'm continuously trying to improve that. But, you know, and I'm hopefully I'm a little better a little better host than I than I was back then. But since this has gotten I've gotten emails on this for, for years. So I was really thinking, you know, ah, there's so much new blood that have probably not dove that deep into the back catalog. Uh, to discover this one so putting it out there for everybody and hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as I did if you need to get a hold of me you know email me at info at tonewob.com I'm on all the socials shoot me a line if you need anything let me know I will do my best to help out and if you could as always we could use iTunes reviews iTunes reviews are very important to having helping people discover the show and get a feel for what they're getting to getting into, rather, before they jump in. So if we could get some more of those, that'd be great. I'm actually running a contest right now. So a contest to see who can write the best iTunes review. And I mean, funny, it just has to be, it's just going to be my favorite between now and Friday. So that would be Friday, May 24th. So you have a few days, and I'll be reviewing them all on the 25th. I'm going to pick a winner uh, of from the correct date range. There's already been some people from the Tone Mob Facebook group leave a few, but from the ranges that I've told everybody, I'm going to pick uh, my favorite review. So we can use some more iTunes reviews. If you hop on over there, that would be great. The link to iTunes is in the show notes if you're looking for the easiest way to do that. And I think that's all for this week. So yes, there's going to be another episode coming in right behind this. As soon as this is uploaded, I'll start uploading the other one. I don't normally do a back-to-back thing, but you'll... Well, when you start to listen to it, you'll hear. But I'm talking to a rock and roll legend, 
Mike Mitchell from the band The Kingsman, who you probably know. Their best-known track is definitely Louie Louie. Some consider it the first punk song. You know, they're, they're the ones that had the FBI following them around because of the supposed lyrical content of the song. It's a really interesting chat, and again, it's, it's way out of the norm for, for a Tone Mob podcast anyway. We recorded it at a local cigar shop downtown, so it was a, it was a really fun interview. That's coming in next, and that one is fresh. That one has only been heard by Patreon folks at, up until this point, so hopefully you guys enjoy that as well. That will be coming in shortly. All right, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.